Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and mother freaking movement. Conversation is really good. This is my good friend, Katie Wells. She is a wealth of knowledge in the realm of functional medicine, in the realm of nutrition, in the realm of overall wellness, taking care of a family. She's the mother of, I believe, five. She is the founder of Wellness Mama. She is the Wellness Mama. And she is just an absolute bounty of information on all the things that we need to keep ourselves happy, healthy, well-circulated, and uncontaminated by some of the malarkey that is in the products that we consume on a daily basis. Uh, infertility is something that may be on the rise, so says various different researchers. And the suggestion is that by year 2045, 2050, in that range, men will be widely infertile in large part due to endocrine disruptors in plastics among other things by a lot of factors in that. that's what we get in this conversation that and other things largely just how the environmental products that we utilize are affecting us at a hormonal level at a neurochemical level mental emotional postural they're all tied in and that's what we get into in this conversation hope you guys dig it thank you so much for those of you that have grabbed the new revised expanded version of the align method book that book would be the thing that i would give to any person if it was a friend a mom a dad some of the sort that i wanted to know that they knew the foundational principles on how to be healthy, how to tap into longevity, flexibility, strength, and just understand how to operate their body the best way that they can with the resources that they have. The principles to do this are very simple, and that's what we put in the Align Method book. It is available at thealignbook.com. Thealignbook.com. All right, here we go. Hope you enjoy this podcast. I recorded it just for you. All right, here we go back to the podcast. So did you start using the sadhu nail beds? I you've, you've did. You procured one for yourself. I did. My kids love seeing who can stand on it longer and uh, who can st- stand with one foot and whatever. Right, and right. I do them during podcasts or just standing in the kitchen. Flat on the bottom. You can kind of like skate on them if you need to move around. Oh, you are, have a strange affinity to doing incredibly painful, <laughs> challenging things. Where the hell does that come from? I don't know. I have this mentality of if something seems difficult and or scary, then I have mm. to eventually do it, mm. which has led to some of the more fun experiences in my life. From a foot perspective, that led to walking on Legos for several miles sure. to set a record and tore my feet up way worse than these. But it's I kind of try to once a year do something that terrifies me or that is really difficult, mm. which has led to singing lessons and stand-up comedy and belly dancing and things that were I thought were either terrifying or undoable until I did them. And the stand-up comedy thing is happening. It is happening. It's in the works. Can you explain the stand-up comedy thing? Uh, Well, I didn't consider myself funny at all. So it was a thing I wanted to try. I'm a big believer everything in life is learnable. And that felt like a really steep hill to climb. And also realizing there seemed to be a very open gap in that market. So many comedians are men. And so much about motherhood is hilarious in our daily life, but nobody's really talking about it. And then with COVID, there were companies were needing content, especially from female sources. And so it kind of lined up perfectly to get into the comedy world. And we'll see how it goes. I don't have any expectations going in other than challenging myself. Did you, uh, how did you practice comedy? You have no experience with comedy. You're going to do a TV show on some suspicious, meaningful network that everyone knows about. Yes. Yes, exactly. How nerve-wracking is that? 
it's pretty. I just wouldn't do that. Why? Because <laughs> it would be terrifying. <laughs> There's like few things that would be more terrifying. I think that comedians are some of the bravest people on the planet. Oh, I agree. Because you're getting instant feedback and often it's bad. And I, so I'm practicing in small realms, but I think it's going to be a big jump. But let's focus on you for a second. Like what are things that terrify you that you would not want to do? Stand up comedy. So why don't you do it? You could do it in Austin. <laughs> I'm a coward. <laughs> the obstacle is the way, Aaron. You have so many opportunities here. Jesus. So how do you practice? Well, it really is actually a system, which works well, because the reason I didn't think I was funny is I'm very uh, systems oriented and logical, but there is actually an underlying system and setting up a premise and the way that you work through comedy. It's not just you're throwing funny words on a page and then memorizing them. So it's fun to learn the flow of that. And then kind of you want to learn to like attack things from all angles and you want to draw them to the conclusion that's often the opposite of what they thought you were going to go. So you lead them one way and then the funny part is going the opposite way. So it's kind of like playing mental chess. And I like that part. Mm. You read any books about comedy? Are you just watching comedians? You got like favorite comedians? I worked with a mentor. There are not a lot of female comedians. I did watch some of them as kind of research, but more of getting to know, I know my audience so well and I know moms. And so kind of delving into that world and I'm working with a mentor as well who has done stand up, which I think is in anything new you're going to learn. It's often very, very helpful to have a mentor. Mm. Do you practice in the mirror? Sometimes that's way scarier than stage though. Really? Yeah. You don't have the feedback. Yeah. Yeah. There's something does happen when you're around people like that. I don't know your hormones, like all the chemicals turn on in a certain way that like, and you're getting that feedback. You're, you're creating, it's like a living system. You're a part of an ecosystem of sorts. Exactly. And then like the competitive aspect then also kicks in there. Same thing with like, I was terrified of cold plunge forever mm. until I did it in a group setting. And then it was like, well, I have to stay longer than anyone else. So I have to stay in here. And it, it broke the mental barrier. Did you, have you learned anything? And there was, we wanted, I wanted to talk about endocrine disrupting chemicals. That was one of the primary <laughs> prongs of this conversation. But uh, did you learn anything specific on how to be funnier, like the mechanics of, of creating like a bit? Yes. You basically outline and set up all these premises. And then it's the most funny when you're able to do callbacks to something earlier on, Mm. especially in an unrelated way. But what surprised me the most is you want to be as concise as possible. So even the greats, whether Joe Rogan's, the Jerry Seinfeld, they may say a lot of words in an hour special, but their actual bits are very concise and funny. So it's constant change of information. And so people aren't getting bored. It's like you have to keep them on track the whole time. If you lose their attention, you lose the laughs and then you have to rebuild to get them back. Endocrine disrupting chemicals and things that are existing they're they're lurking amongst our household and our deodorizers and our perfumes and what is that it's a big complex conversation that i think that probably a lot of people listen to this are probably at least savvy with but what was your original interest in that and what have you learned what's been surprising to you Yeah, I would guess a lot of people are savvy, but there was still a lot that surprised me, even knowing a decent amount about that before I really went deep on the research. So people have probably heard the stats of how many chemicals we're exposed to on a daily basis, whether it is that the average woman uses 12 personal care products and is exposed to 200 and something chemicals per day, or that babies are now born with over 300 chemicals in their cord blood, which is especially surprising because the placenta blocks a lot of chemicals. So this is just the ones that get through the placenta. So babies are starting day one with that toxic load. And we know also the stats of how rapidly health outcomes are changing and all these changes that we're seeing within the span of one to two generations, which is relatively unheard of. And when you start delving into the research on that, it's everything from plastic chemicals, which I know we've both talked about before, to the chemicals in our cleaners and personal care products are especially big offenders. And the reason I started really researching this was 
I had all these friends and family members who ate organic, who lived very clean lives, who were still using pretty toxic personal care products because they worked. And I realized they weren't willing to sacrifice how they looked or how they felt, understandably. Like you don't want your teeth to look like crap or your hair, but they were still using the really toxic personal care products without realizing, because it's with food, we understand it's an input, it's going inside our body. So I think it's easier to understand it's having an effect. But people maybe don't realize that the same or more effect can happen from skin or mouth exposure. It's the reason you can put tobacco only in the mouth and not inhale it and still get a nicotine effect. It's the reason you can put drugs under the tongue and get a very meaningful effect. Most people are doing that daily with their personal care products that are then living on their skin, in their mouth, on their scalp, and being absorbed at a low level in the body all day. Same with toxic laundry products. Those are sitting on your skin and causing a low level response all day to those toxins. Mm. So what are some of the effects of this? Testosterone is obviously a thing. There was, we were talking before of what's happening with the poor frogs and the atrazine. Is atrazine the, the term? The, atrazine, the pesticide? yeah, turning male frogs female. Turning and male frogs female. And there's a bunch of contentious conversations of how that may or may not be contributing to the, the sexual function and the sexuality and the, the, the potential feminization of, of men in modern culture. It's pretty interesting. It's fascinating and a little scary, especially when you think of the fact that when it starts happening on small animals, it's important to pay attention to that because they're going to show effects in a more meaningful way more quickly than humans will, but there's likely a similar crossover effect somewhere in humans. And so we know the hard stats of that men of our generation have a third of the testosterone that their grandfathers did at the same age, which is a really, really drastic decline in two generations, like unheard of in human history type of numbers. We also know that a lot of of these chemicals, whether it's parabens, phthalates, some of these pesticides that you're talking about, and certainly plastic chemicals have endocrine disrupting effects. So they mimic things like estrogen in the body. And this is harmful for males and females in different ways, but very harmful in both cases, especially when we're talking about children and pre-puberty and the, the lifelong consequences of that. And this is not small exposure either. Like I like to give the analogy of people will take a tiny ibuprofen and expect it to have a very meaningful effect on their body in pain relief, but ignore the fact that we're putting the same amount of those types of substances, like these endocrine disrupting substances on our skin or in our mouth and our hair multiple times per day, and then assuming it's not going to have an effect. But when we look at the data, we know these things are building up in fat stores in the body. When you're talking about things like deodorant, they are building up in the lymph glands, in the armpits, and they exist in the body for years that we we know of potentially longer and have to be pretty consciously detoxed to get rid of. And we're getting constant exposure without doing the things that help reduce the harmful effects of that. And then we're seeing a generation over generation, really negative effect. Wow. Have you heard of like the cell of a modern human is, is some percentage corn and plastic and, you know, we're essentially turning into ocean pollution that you'd see like floating around in a bottle. The plastic one is especially kind of scary because this is, we're kind of the first generation to have grown up entirely with plastic mm. and the amount of saturation we have on an environmental perspective and in the human body is in the first generation of this exposure is really ominous for what the future will look like if we don't start making changes because we know that plastic is present. We've so saturated the planet that it's present under 30 feet of ice in Antarctica wow. where there aren't even people living. Uh, it's fully saturated the oceans, the water supply, and now they test seafood and there's plastic chemicals in seafood, microplastics. They're finding it in the human body and fat tissue and other tissue and plastic production is still ramping up year over year and it does not break down. It takes hundreds of years to begin to break down and it doesn't even break down safely. And we're only one generation into this. Within the plastic, what are the standout culprits that are problematic for our hormone functions? Is it is it phthalates or is it what's what's like the, the standout 
That's a big one. Also BPA, which got a lot of press, but there's a lot more than just those. So there's BPA, there's also BPS, BPF. There's a whole host of similar chemicals. So when BPA got all the press, companies started getting savvy to that and removing BPA and replacing it with other bisphenols that are potentially more dangerous, but now it's BPA free. So that's a lot of people will look for that label, but it's actually not necessarily safer. And in some cases, potentially more dangerous um, with the idea being that those chemicals are readily absorbed into the body, but they're not readily excreted from the body. And so we're storing them over time. And so those plastic chemicals, like the other ones we've talked about, have a drastic hormone effect, especially over time and especially because they're storing in the body. So what does a person do? You know, obviously, maybe start incorporating more glass into your life. But with like detoxing methods, you know, what, what, what's a person to do in this modern world that we're completely engulfed by plastic? And plastic is incredibly convenient. It is. And it's also not going to ever go away entirely. I think yeah. actually our first podcast, it surprised me. You had some device in your home and you were like, oh, I bet you're surprised that I have it was Google Play or Alexa or something in your home. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. And you gave the analogy like we're not going to totally get away from technology. So we have to be able to exist with it in yeah. some form. I think it's a similar kind of mindset when it comes to plastics and endocrine disrupting chemicals. But that we can be a lot more selective and kind of 80-20 that and that some small changes can make a big difference. It's not that we can ever fully avoid these, nor do we need to, because like you said, they're highly convenient. Um, but thankfully, we're seeing on a global policy level, we're starting to see big companies change their sourcing. And I think that's going to be one really big key as we move toward more availability of things like safer plastics sourced from um, hemp or sugarcane or more sustainable sources or the ability to commercially compost some of those plastics and break them down safely. But I think the big key for anybody listening is as consumers, we can make those daily choices to reduce exposure drastically without living an inconvenient life. Um, and that is things like the single use plastics have gotten a lot of press. We can start eliminating those. And it's not just drinking straws. That was so trendy a while back. All the drinking straws in the entire world would only fill a couple shipping containers per year. We actually have a lot more plastic exposure from other sources like feminine products, like masks now are one of the largest sources, ironically, of single use plastic. Um, but restaurant packaging. There's nothing you can do with them either, right? They're non-recyclable. They're non-recyclable because they're multi-material. Right. Um, and, but thankfully, there's now a lot more widespread options as alternatives. And anything you can do, obviously, the old adage to reduce or reuse cuts into that exposure as well. So on a very base level, like household cleaners are a terrible source of chemical exposure and also plastic use. And there's now concentrates you can buy that you can make all of your household cleaning products from one thing with only one bottle and re reduce your exposure to all of that, um, especially because most cleaners are 90% water. So you're paying for water in a plastic bottle when the actual active ingredient is such a small percentage. So that's an easy switch that actually saves you money. Same thing with personal care is if you switch out the few products you're using the most, you're going to reduce your exposure by about 80%. So that was why, like for me, it was important to focus first on oral care and hair care because that's across the population, the two biggest sources of exposure. And there weren't great natural alternatives that were as effective as the conventional alternatives. But it doesn't have to be a big ominous thing. We don't have to go live in the woods and eat only out of glass, nor is anyone going to do that. It's just making conscious choices that aren't inconvenient and that are just easy one-on-one -on -one switches in your lifestyle. What's happening within deodorizers? There's a lot that goes on there as well. So a lot of people are used to using antiperspirants, which is its own host of problems because one of the pathways by which we detox some of these chemicals is sweat. And antiperspirants block one of the best 
places in the body that sweats and the aluminum and other chemicals in that store in the fatty tissue in the armpits, in the lymph system there. And also in females, there's been news about that in breast tissue because it's proximity to the armpits. And so we're now seeing the links there, but this is another category where you switch out for one that doesn't contain those same chemicals and you've removed that exposure. So what are the options? And you've created your own initiative to support this cause with wellness. Yeah. So um, with wellness, we wanted to tackle the same thing, the 80-20 of the most common exposure across all populations. So it was hair care, oral care, and deodorant will be launching soon. Amazing. And so we wanted to tackle those realizing, and they're all multi-use products as well. So we, we have shampoo and conditioner. The shampoo also works as a body wash. The conditioner works as a shaving cream that reduces packaging. Um, we use sugarcane bioplastic, which is commercially compostable. Um, even though it's about 20 times more expensive than regular plastic, that was a really important initiative for me to not contribute plastic to the landfill and not to contribute plastic exposure, especially to kids. It's interesting the dependence that modern humans have formed around a lot of like soaps and oils and like all of the, the self-care goods that you know, your, your body takes care of itself pretty well. Not that we need to grow our armpits out and our beards out and go live in the woods and drink out of glass jars exclusively. But when you are continually degreasing your body, for example, then your body will have to start to, you know, find its own level of homeostasis with that. You're adding these new agents to the, you know, the, the, the biome on your skin and the sebum and the, like the balance of oils. And now you're creating this, like you're, you're throwing that off and you create a dependence on that product. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And you actually <laughs> cause the body to overcompensate. So like, for instance, by overwashing your hair, you're training your body to create more oil that's yeah. going to stick to more stuff. So you're going to have to wash it more. And that was another thing I don't think people realize is most shampoo is actually detergent. It's going to have similar ingredients to what's in laundry detergent, which is not helpful at all to your skin microbiome or to actually healthy hair and follicle health of not losing hair, which is another big problem thanks to some of these chemicals that we're seeing in society today. And so I wanted to turn that principle on its head because I would guess most people have heard that idea that what goes on your body goes in your body. And that's a great reason to avoid the toxic stuff like we've been talking about. But I realized you can turn that on its head and use it to your advantage as well. If what goes on the skin goes into the body, why not put beneficial stuff on the skin that you're being exposed to all day long to kind of nourish the body from the outside in as well as the inside out. And so kind of took the idea of like hair food or skin food or in the oral care space, nourishing the microbiome in the mouth directly, which has a rollover effect into the whole body because the mouth is so intricately tied to every part of the body. It's it's the reason that when someone who has a heart condition, for instance, gets dental work, they take antibiotics because the chance of them getting an infection when that dental microbiome layer is punctured is so great. Same with the reason babies have an immune response when teething is because that oral microbiome is tied into the whole body. And a lot of commercial products over sterilize the mouth, which actually can throw things out of balance in one or two ways. And I didn't realize till I did a deep dive into this, there's this delicate balance of bacteria in the mouth. And if you throw it out of balance one way, you're going to get gingivitis. And if you throw it out of balance the other way, you get cavities. So it's important to maintain that homeostasis. And it's not really talked about even in conventional dentistry. So I went deep with a bunch of dentists who had done that research and were in the, the holistic realm and also very much in the conventional dentistry world. And that was how we developed our formula there. Do you think that there's any like malintent or any kind of like nefarious evil villains out there that are wanting humans to be dependent on products and then starting this like i think the answer is 
for me, I think it's pretty much no. I think it's just we're indoctrinated by our belief systems and our research and our echo chambers and everyone's agreeing with us and there's millions and billions of dollars and it's like hard to not think that way when everyone's, you know, so that's that's my lens. I'm not trying to like, you know, inform the witness. What is that called? <laughs> Leading the witness. Yeah, I'm not trying to lead the witness here, but it almost feels that way. You know, when you're like, oh, okay, so the shampoo messes like a detergent, then messes the hair, and then, then we got the Rogaine, and then the toothpaste, and then we got the cavity, and the gingivitis, and then we go, okay, now I need to, now I need to get a, some type of, you know, microbiome supplement, and it's like it, it creates this whole cascade of events that ultimately leads to more consumer goods being distributed. So it's it's like this whack-a-mole, and then you have this huge. I mean, it's interesting opening up some people's cabinets inside their their bathrooms, and you're like. Oh my God. Not that it is anything wrong or right, but you have so many products to just keep your body like normal. Yeah. It's impressive. <laughs> it, it, it is impressive, even though the body is designed to do that on its own. I, I think it, what's the well known joke is like, I don't want to believe in conspiracy the theories, but they make it so damn easy. Like, yeah. I don't think personally either that there's any overarching nefarious plot to get us addicted to all of these things or to make us dependent. I think more likely it all goes down to money. And these are high profit margin products that like from a business perspective, if it's something you can get people to recurringly use, it's a good business model. And they've just been very savvy about doing this in all of these different sectors. And I'm very much pro people being able to do what they want. And if people want to use those products, that's awesome. I'm also very pro informed consent. And I think the fact that we aren't told about this and that there's over now 90,000 chemicals in production that haven't been studied for safety that we're exposed to and assume that they're safe because they're in production, I think it's at least a conversation worth having. Mm. And there, I think there's even shame to not use the products. It goes back to like, I think it was Edward Bernays. He was the, the nephew of Sigmund Freud. He kind of was like the, the father of modern marketing. He kind of turned the, are you familiar with the, he started like the, the freedom sticks, which was cigarettes. He had a bunch yeah. of women in some big parade go march down the the street and had all the photographers positioned there and they're, they're smoking these cigarettes as like this virtue signaling that like we're taking the power back from men. So suddenly this cancerous, you know, stick of tobacco becomes this really like empowering thing to do. And I think that we do that uh, either consciously or subconsciously with the products that we use as well and the cars that we drive and like every little details is these little subtle virtue signals. And when we're reaching out to buy a product, it's telling, it's informing some story of who we are, I think. And a lot of people don't want to be the, you know, the armpit hair, live out in the woods, glass bottle person. And you don't have to be. I also <laughs> yeah, don't want to be like the armpit hair person. <laughs> but I think it's just recognizing the extensive marketing that goes into a lot of that. I think that's a great point that we build identity around some of these things, but uh, that just like in the nutrition side of health, often simplification is more important than addition. And we've been told we need all these products for so long, but you can exist with very minimal personal care products or whatever, any cleaning products, any of this. And not only is it simplify your life, but you're going to save money as well. And your body is going to be a lot happier. Mm. I think guys are better at this too. Like, I feel like most guys have much more simplified personal care routine yeah. than women that I see. And like, and once they make a habit, it sticks. Like most of the stuff I have for personal care is here in case there's a woman here. <laughs> <laughs> Like we've got conditioner. <laughs> that's for you. That's love for that's love for me. <laughs> I haven't washed my hair for I don't even know how long. Six years. It's like it's a non. It's it's like a non conversation for me. And I've found that I actually prefer. Like I mean, my hair is normal. It's like you know, fine, nice. When I go to see a a, a, a hair a barber or whatever whatever the term term they they'd have, they're like, oh my god, your hair is so great. It's like I haven't done anything to it other than river water, ocean water, and tap water for the last six years because the body just starts to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. It's probably great for your microbiome too. 
I think so. Is there other topical remedies we can be doing to start to cultivate the, the jungle that exists on our skin? Should we be like rubbing our face in dirt? Being outside is the biggest factor in that. I think like the reason that gardeners live longer, they've done some really cool studies about yeah. that. And a big part of it is vitamin D from the sun, obviously fresh air. We know the stats on all that, but also exposure to the soil microbiome as yeah. well. And humans are largely removed from that. We're walking around in shoes outside, not on the ground, which I know you talk about and get people to encourage them not to wear shoes as much, but we're not interacting with the natural world. And then our, our microbiome is formed from exposure to the chemical world. And that starts day one as well, especially when we're talking about babies being born in a hospital where there's over sanitized environments and potentially the presence of resistant bacteria that can still exist in the hospital environment, babies are getting their microbiome cultured from that, not from a more natural environment. Because babies are born, we used to think totally with a sterile gut, that's not actually true, but they don't have a fully developed immune system or microbiome yet. And that process happens starting at the moment of birth, hopefully through a vaginal delivery, where they're actually receiving that those messages and that gut culture from their mother's microbiome on exit. In C-sections, that's a little bit different. Or if the mom's on antibiotics, during birth, that's a little bit different. But rather than how it used to be, babies getting acclimated to this world in a microbiome sense in their home environment where they are actually encountering the environment they're going to be around all the time, it's happening in a hospital and they're not getting the range of microbiome exposure that they need to develop a healthy immune system. And then that continues because we're not outside enough. We're not interacting with a variety of bacteria in the soil with animals even. There's a reason having dogs and cats is actually great for the immune system. Um, and a lot of people talk about that. You can reduce your risk of, for children, uh, allergies, asthma, and a lot of other things by having pets in the home because they're actually bringing that yeah, they bring bacteria outside, in outside and out. Inside. Yeah. Moment and discuss a nootropic supplement that has been absolutely knocking my socks off. It is referred to as Qualia Mine, premium cognitive support. No joke, this stuff makes a difference. Take seven vegetarian capsules. See that right in the back here. The ingredients, I, I understand what they are. They're all like real foods for the most part. Like I actually get the stuff and I don't know what it is, but swear to bejesus taking this stuff. It helps with my word recall. It helps with a memory. And it's interesting because you keep taking it and it keeps working and it doesn't have a drawback. Like you don't have like a caffeine crash or something of the sort. Like I think it actually works to almost like fertilize the garden of your mind. I don't know, but it seems to actually work. And the most ridiculous, exciting thing is you can get 50% off of your first purchase. Plus, I think they have a 10% on top of that. So you can almost try the stuff. I mean, it's not free, but it's a lot of percent off by using the code Aaron. So at checkout, type in A-A-R-O-N. They'll give you an additional 50% off of your purchase. If you do not absolutely love this stuff, they have a full money back guarantee. I am very confident this will make a difference in your life and the way that you think and how clearly you think in memory, word recall, things of the sort. Yeah, it doesn't get your money back. No big deal. No questions asked. 50% off. Jump over to N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. That's Neurohacker and use code Aaron at checkout for an additional 50% off. Neurohacker.com. Aaron at checkout. Wow. 
just want to take a moment and discuss a supplement that has been immensely valuable for my sleep. That is magnesium, particularly from Bio Optimizers. Their Mag Breakthrough product is fantastic. I've been taking it for over a year and it's phenomenal. It contains all seven different forms of magnesium. So it's a full spectrum magnesium supplement. The reason we need magnesium as a supplement is because it's largely deficient in modern day soil. So this stuff is phenomenal and get yourself a discount by going to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H dot com forward slash align podcast. Get yourself a discount. And if you do not absolutely love this stuff, you don't notice a change. You don't sleep better. Your muscles don't repair better. You don't feel more at ease in your autonomic experience. Then get your money back. 100% money back. Guarantee. Try it. Got nothing to lose. Jump over to magbreakthrough.com forward slash align podcast. It feels like almost nature is like our mother, you know, or our father. It's, you know, it like takes care of us. And it feels almost like there's this interjection of like a stepfather being modernity. <laughs> and the stepfather's like telling us lies about the father. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. You know? And you're like, oh, like outside, you don't want to get dirty. There might be yeah. glass on the ground. You know, you don't want to get an infection. You don't want to, which all this stuff's true. I'm not, I'm not just saying you got to walk on glass barefoot or I don't even really care if people are barefoot. I think, you know, there's all sorts of interesting conversations why it's relevant, but just being outside, like yes. however you get interacting with the natural outside, world, take your body outside. Yes. But within the same thing, like the virtue signaling of, you know, being in a sexy coffee shop or in a sexy car, or wearing sexy perfume or wearing high heels or wearing all these different things that kind of remove you from that camping vibe, you know, but if you look into the the blue zones and the people that are, you know, living to be really old and seemingly just like naturally organically pretty healthy human beings, and they're not like doing a lot of health. It's just the way that they are. It seems like that's a consistent trend as they just, they kind of position their lives in such a way that they engage with nature with more regularity. And it's not weird. Yeah. That's the thing. When you start having these conversations, I think it's easy to tune out for, and like rightfully so, because you're starting to kind of like say like, you know, you got to throw everything you know, burn your couch, do all that stuff. It's like, have a couch, have high heels, do all of that. Do all of that, but spend time outside with people it's you just, love. It's just like, the integration. Exactly. You know, is that something that you actively do with your family? Are you like making activities be such that we're just, we're going to be outside or how do you, how do you integrate this into your family? Absolutely. And our lives are largely built around that now, especially being in a warm area. And thankfully the environment where we live is a neighborhood where there's a ton of kids. And so my kids are outside almost all day. They come inside for a little while for the school that they do. And then they're outside with friends, often climbing trees or building forts or playing ball in the street. But it's interesting too, that that's been a recurring theme across so many experts I've had on my podcast as well is nature being the remedy to so many of these problems. And it doesn't have to be a go camp in the woods yeah, kind of need, scenario. Although ironically, it, the study, did you see the study that is people who camped in the woods without artificial light for seven days completely reprogrammed their circadian rhythm and right. drastically adapted their hormone levels? It doesn't mean you have to do that. But I've had experts like Dr. Hill come on and say the most meaningful things you can do for your brain, and he's done brain scans of thousands of people, are get up early and go outside before the sun comes up and get natural light first thing in the morning, and then stop eating before bed for three hours and then get good sleep. But basically like become in tune with nature. Same thing with fresh air vitamin D, like we know all of the statistics of those things. We're still not doing them as a population. Yeah. What do you think of 
obesity? Why are people so fat? I think that's multifaceted, especially from a personal experience perspective of that. I think endocrine disruptors are contributing, especially in kids, because metabolically kids are wired to be active and not to be obese. And so the fact that we're seeing the rates of obesity we're seeing in kids is really telling of what's going on. And I think that's at a special wake up call. We need to be looking into this because kids are wired to be active and it's not usual for them to overeat and overconsume. It, it's a combination of hyperpalatable foods, the chemicals that interfere with things like ghrelin and leptin, so they're not getting normal hormone response when they eat. We know kids are less active because they're sitting in school all day. There's all those problems. And I think those are all very relevant and important and need to be talked about on a wide scale. I also think that there's an emotional component as well. At least that was my personal experience because I've been in the health world for 15 years now and I've interviewed all these doctors and weight was a thing I struggled with for over a decade. How much did you weigh? I've lost a hundred pounds. So it's, it was like a significant, significant weight loss. And I had all the nutrition stuff dialed in. I had talked to literally the 15 best doctors in the country. And you didn't yo-yo. I didn't yo-yo. Uh, and you lost weight fast. Yeah. It happened like largely within a span of six months. I thought you were going to yo-yo because it happened so fast. Yeah. I was like, we were hanging out talking, you were 100 pounds, you know, more. And then it was like, I felt like, I mean, for me, it felt like it was like a few weeks, but six months. And it was like complete body transformation. Yeah. And that I think was my body catching up to my mind because I used to, I think I was like doing all the physical things you could do in a very regimented spreadsheet, obsessive way. But I was in an emotional sense. I was sort of trying to like punish and hate myself into being healthy. And I had this story that if only I looked like this, or if only I did this or weighed this, then I would be happy. And it was it was doing the emotional work and realizing just like you can't out supplement a bad diet, you can't out diet your emotions and your hormones. And when you're in a constant state of sympathetic nervous system and you're in fight or flight, you aren't resting and digesting. Your body is not going to signal to lose weight or have like it, it's going to interfere with all those processes. And it was the dismantling of negative emotions and working through trauma that I think because all those other things I had been doing for 10 years, once I dealt with that piece, it was like my body just adapted to what it wanted to be already. But it was, it's amazing too, how effortless that process was. When people ask about it, I, I'm like, I wish I could give you a checklist to follow that would do that. It's unfortunately facing the hard stuff and dealing with the emotions. But the irony is I eat actually way more now. First, that's just amazing. It feels trite to say congratulations. <laughs> like saying congratulations, but I'm just so glad that that is <laughs> happening for you, for you, with you, however is the best way to say it. But listening to, to, to that, the idea that you can start to change your, your body, the constitution of your body with your mind is also one of those things that's kind of annoying to hear sometimes, depending upon who's listening. And the science to, to kind of back that up, there's lo probably lots of science, but one of the things that I find so interesting is the impact of or the, or the potential change in people with multiple personalities. Have you looked into this at all? Where it's like you can you can have like reoccurrent burns and rashes and you can be allergic to a thing and then not allergic to a thing. And, you know, your eyes can change, your vision can change, your freaking the, the color of your eyes can change. Like just because you went from Sammy to Leela. Yeah, like, all that like changed was your mind. In an instant. Like you can yes. have pustules on your skin. 
because you believe you're allergic to a thing. Mm -hmm. Then you turn into Leela and the fluid goes back into your body and reconstitutes and circulates and they're gone. Yeah. What the fuck? I th <laughs> exactly. No, it, especially like the anaphylaxis. Like people assume that's a biological pro thing that's hardwired, but you're right. In multiple personality, one personality can be anaphylactically allergic to peanuts and the other one can eat peanuts just fine. And it's the same biological person. The DNA is exactly the same. So then it's the question of what's going on with the mind. And I think we're only just beginning to understand what's going on there. I think in my case, it was because of past trauma, I didn't feel safe in my body and it didn't feel safe to look a certain way, even though that's what I thought I consciously wanted. It didn't feel safe. And I could not logically or out willpower that. I had to actually deal with that because my subconscious was doing that to protect me. I think so much is happening on the subconscious level that we're not aware of it's, and things like that illustrate it. But I think we're really just starting to understand it. And I think that within this, it's not to say that it's just, okay, cool, your mind's jacked up, you know, change your mind and then your body will change. And it's also not to say that this is entirely environmental phthalites and beef BPAs and PFAS or PUFAs or whatever. How do people say that? PFA? PFAS, yeah. PUFAs? PUFAs is vegetable oils. PFAS. Yeah. <laughs> God dang it. I'm learning. <laughs> well, and this is the I'm curse of like learning. those of us who exist in this world when you learn something by reading and then you're on a podcast, you're like, oh shit, how do I say that out loud? Yeah, people are used to me just struggling <laughs> with any type of acronym. And it's not to become excessively dogmatic about saying, okay, cool, your environment's out to get you. Even the belief that your environment's out to get you, that starts to inform the mind. You know, and it's not to say that it's just what you're eating. It's not to say that it's just how you're moving. All of those are their spokes in a larger wheel. But I think it's, yes. it's easy to toss the mental one under the rug. And I think it's, I don't know. Do you think that there's one that has the highest leverage or is it just very dependent upon the person? One, one's highest leverage spoke. I think the emotional mindset piece is probably the biggest one, but it's also so personalized. That it's going to be different in everyone. Mm. Um, I also think that one can often be the most misunderstood. And when we, I, I'm very cautious about saying things, even like we're talking about right now, because I feel like often people will then internalize that and be like, yeah. oh, well, great. Then it's my fault You're that wrong. I'm like, and then it goes in the exact opposite direction. I think it, it starts with asking better questions, even at the questions that we're consciously asking our subconscious. So as an example, back then I would ask questions internally, like, why can't I lose weight? And why is this so hard? Well, our subconscious is there to protect us. And so I would get answers from my subconscious, like, well, obviously you have thyroid disease and six kids and yada, yada, and it would reinforce the belief. And so when I started paying attention to that and asking questions like, how is it so easy to get into the shape that I want to get? Or how is it so easy to love my body? I started getting the subconscious answers to those questions. But it's when you say it's the mindset piece, I don't want people to fall into the like, oh, I have to now fight my mindset because it's not that. And I don't want people to internalize that it's their fault because their mindset's not good enough either. How does one come into more congruent balanced relationship with their mindset? I mean, I think you're describing it, but yeah, I think it's a mixture of paying attention and letting go. Um, and depending on the person, there's going to be different therapies that are helpful there. In some way, you have to be able to figure out, was it Jung who said, until you make the subconscious conscious, mm. it will rule your life and you'll call it fate. Right. You got to figure out how to pull those things up, whether that be therapy, whether that be psychedelics works for a lot of people, whether it just be a conscious awareness and paying attention to your patterns. I found the books, Letting Go has been helpful for a lot of people, The Untethered Soul, oh, yeah. because yeah. yeah, both of those just help you start to pay attention to the, the processes that are happening subconsciously and become more aware of them. Cool. Where are you at with your mindset now? Do you have any kind of negative self-talk? 
not really. Like I'll have the occasional, it's now surprising when any of those things come up because they're so rare, which in contrast, I would say two and a half years ago, that was probably like 60% of my mental energy in the midst of growing a business and raising six kids was devoted to like how mad I was at myself for not being able to like force myself into what I wanted my body to do. And that was actually one of the moments that really made it hit home for me was looking in the mirror one day and seeing my daughter look at me, look at myself in the mirror and seeing it register in her face, the way that I was looking at myself, probably for the first time that she'd even realized someone would look at their body with anything other than respect for what it could do. Because she's an athlete and she's, to her, her body's this amazing tool that does these amazing things. And I saw her, the surprise in her eyes as she saw me look at myself like that. And that was a, this stops now moment, like whatever it takes, this ends. Where do you think that originated from? To go from daughter's lens of just, wow, what a cool thing this body experience is, to going from a place of not trusting the body or, you know, going against being like againstness toward the body. Like in me personally or? Yeah, in you. I think it was a combination of things over the course of childhood and then some acute things. I think there were things woven into the way I was taught about like modesty and like human sexuality that kind of programmed early that the body was bad or it was at least dangerous. And I had to dismantle those. But then I think being raped in high school actually like reinforced some of those early beliefs around that. And that was when it created the unsafe scenario. And so I think part of that subconsciously, it became not safe to look a certain way because that that felt risky or that felt dangerous. And I think that was a component as well. It's almost like inflammation to protect a, a joint. Yeah. Wow. Because inflammation it, would be swelling. Exactly. Exactly. Which makes complete sense because when it, when I first started dismantling that and actually had that like somatic reaction to reliving the trauma and then like shook for hours, which was after our first podcast, actually, I lost eight pounds by the next day, which is not biologically possible technically. Like when you talk about weight loss, that's not possible in one day. So there was definitely an inflammation component. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Has your relationship to food changed? Because I think that that's, that's another, I think we have a, many, uh, almost like cop out kind of like a pushing away of, of responsibility. And that's, I think the balance with what you're saying before of like, okay, this is my fault, you know, or am I responsible, you know, and because responsible, like being able to respond is actually a really empowering position to be in. Yes. You know, so it's, it's with all of these conversations, I think it's, especially in this, in this day and age, which is probably this day and age has probably happened thousands of times. The tendency is to want to, you know, get six words up on a billboard, you know, and go out and get your billboard and have everybody chanting the billboard thing. And there's just not enough nuance in these conversations. And so I think within that, like it's, it's a highly nuanced conversation, like all of this, this different stuff, but the idea that food is just so darn palatable, you know, there's just so darn much of it, you know, it's like, yes, and, and guns don't kill people, you know, like food doesn't make people fat. It's exactly. Where is your mind and your life and like what's pulling you back into the fridge to check if there's more brownies over and over again or whatever your thing is. And to your point, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's your fault or not. Like, I, I don't think it was my fault that I got raped in high school. That's also largely irrelevant because it's now my responsibility then like, completely my responsibility to integrate and choose that going forward. And that's the same thing with food. It's not our fault that we have exposure to marketing and highly palatable foods and all that. It is also entirely our own responsibility, what we put in our mouths. Interesting. <laughs> but it, it's also, 
I would say the more in tune I've gotten with my body emotionally, the food piece takes up so much less mental energy now because That's what I noticed. There's times where I just I'm like I don't want to eat. I'm too into life. Yeah, and then there's times time to, I'm not into eating. Like I'm like I'm doing this thing. Like I'm loving it. And totally. there's other times where I'm just like, what, who am I? What am I doing with my life? You know, just like, and I'll just eat to kind of satiate this. It's like avoidance behavior. Yeah. It, I've seen that on both sides too. I feel like for me now, I'm kind of in a good equilibrium with it where if my body doesn't need food, I don't want to put food in my mouth. And if I try it, I just be kind of like, ugh. Whereas if I did like a really hard workout the day before and I'm in recovery mode, mm -hmm. my body will be like protein, eat protein and I will crave it. Yeah. But I think it's like that learning to work with your body, not against it. Yeah. And so even just what I just said, that could easily get that idea, which isn't a complete idea at all, um, saying when I feel more fulfilled that I'm not so hungry, that's a very incomplete thought. But you could take that out, make it a sound bite and be like, okay, cool. Like, that's the path. Let's create a book around this. It's a whole <laughs> thing. We got a movement. And then that will be disproven in six months or six years. And then there'll be a new movement. Well, and as someone who's also in this world, I would guess you would agree with this, but that was a thing I had learned because I went through everybody's system that was supposed to work and I would follow it to a T and it wouldn't work. And what I finally realized is that there's so much wisdom in all of those different approaches and people who write the book about the one specific thing, they found the thing that works for them. And that's awesome. And we can learn from that, but they have found the thing that works for them. And it needs to become part of our framework, not a blueprint. We can't just copy something exactly. We have to learn to integrate and do the work on ourselves to figure out those specific pieces because we are so individualized, especially in a world where we can create books in six months and they're going to be all these like hyper-focused topics that are trendy. It's like, I think things like with you, it goes back to movement and integration and what is sustainable and what works with your body. And that won't look exactly the same for every single person, but there's great frameworks you can learn. I think it's, it's like having certain principles to lean back on that prob probably are, are not going to change. Like even still being open to being flexible with the principles, but like the nature stuff's probably not going to change. Like drinking reasonably decent water, not going to change, you know, understanding the sourcing of your food. You know, those are, there's like relationships. Yeah. You know, there's, there's certain like get some sunlight. Like there's this like, it's not, it's not going to change. And so I think having that foundation, it's like building a house. Like, cool, we have the foundation. It ain't going anywhere. Now from there, we can, you know, try this new sofa in the living room. See if it works, you know, try it on for six months. But like, we didn't like that sofa. We're going to change it up. Tolstoy, Leo Tolstoy said something along the lines of happy families are all happy for the, like, the, it's the same kind of thread of why they're happy. And then there's a million reasons why there's an unhappy family. You know, so I think that there's like, there is truth in all of these wacky conversations and there's opportunity to explore. But I think that sometimes there can be a switch there where the stuff that we should be exploring suddenly becomes our ethos and our dogma. And that's when it gets, I think, kind of weird. Yes, that's a great point. And I think Does that makes sense. Yes. And the nature of being a human hasn't changed. And I think in it's a world where are. that's the case, like it's easy to get distracted by those shiny new objects. But like you said, best things you can do for your health, it's like go outside and breathe intentionally outdoors with people that you love. That's what the commonalities of the blue zones are. They're getting gentle movement outdoors in community. And then there's a ton of variation in what they're eating and when they're sleeping and what they're wearing and all those factors. Like those are secondary factors. The basic things that do the 80% of what we need to be a healthy human are free. Do you think the atrazine is turning frogs into chicks, male frogs into chicks? We know for sure it is on the frog level. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening with people? 
there are a lot of really controversial, conflicting opinions about this. And I think it's a delicate conversation because I don't want to ever take away from the experience of anyone who is in any of those demographics. But we know with the decline in hormones and how these compounds work in the body that it could be having a contributory effect to potentially things like homosexuality and transgenderism. And I don't say that as a thing that we should be trying to in any way necessarily change those people. My point is if there's a biological thing that's happening that's affecting people on a wide scale, and especially in populations where there's higher rates of certain problems, including suicide, if there's an actual biological cause that could be helpful to these people, I feel like it's at least a topic that science should be exploring in a more involved way. Where do we go with that? I don't know from here because we're not seeing we're not seeing exposure decrease and unfortunately the human population is the study right now like it's it's happening right. on a wide oh, scale. Yeah, we're guinea pigs for all sorts of stuff. Not to, you know, mention the present state of <laughs> with, with the all the unmentionable things that yeah. I've seen. Um, it's crazy. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Do you ever do you ever have crises about this or do you just are you like Cool, whatever you like where's your mind on this well i think it's that idea of like knowing what we can control versus what we can't control and putting our energy toward the things we can control on an individual basis i can't control global policy i can control the inputs that are happening to my family directly so i think we all start there i think actually long-term change it needs to come top down and bottom up but most of us individually have much more of an impact bottom up than top down i think hopefully science is starting to explore some of these questions but there's so much bureaucracy that goes into that, that we're going to be at least 10 years behind, um, like medicine's always 10 years behind science, which is 10 years behind what's actually happening. And so I, I think that was going to take longer. I think in the meantime, we can go based on the evidence we have and at least make informed choices in our own lives. And I think, unfortunately, we might see more and more of a populational divide between people who are doing that and people who aren't. And I think that's somewhat how that data is going to play out. But I think we do at least have reasonably good options to make informed choices for our own families and our own lives. And I think we have to start there and over time, hopefully science will catch up and we can collectively make change at a higher level as well. Mm. It's an interesting thing to lean back on science to to be the solution. You know, it's like the, what's the Einstein quote? It said having the same, can't solve a problem with the same. The definition of insanity is, yeah. Or yeah, the definition of insanity is done the same thing over and over again, think you're going to get different results. But then, yeah, you, you can't fix a problem with the same thought process that created the problem. So it's a really interesting, and I think that our minds... What is the Marshall McLuhan? You know the, the book Marshall McLuhan. The the medium is the, the massage. His 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 idea was the medium is the message. Yeah. We think that when we go to school, we're learning about arithmetic and history and all that. But what's actually really f forming our minds and our bodies and like who we are is the shape of that room and the social culture and you know the politics and like like the air. Like that's really we become the shape of our container. Where was I going with that? I had an idea. I was excited. I don't know what I was saying. With not being able to solve the problem the same way that you created it? or I don't know. I'm completely in science the woods. Science being I'm the answer. The woods. <laughs> I was so excited about Marshall McLuhan. Well, I'm glad you brought up the school side, though, because I think this is another component. And I think, if anything, the last couple of years, this is a good silver lining that's come out of it, is people are rethinking education in some ways. Um, I think that's a huge key is that this is shaping our kids' lives and their environment. Um, but also, it's not really a secret. It's well talked about now. The education system is so outdated 
and it was designed to create workers who followed a certain schedule and it does not create the kind of people that we need to solve these problems that we're talking about. And so I think we're seeing a change in education starting slowly, similar way from bottom up and a lot more parents being open to that because of the last two years and everything that's gone on in the education system. I think that will also be part of the solution. I think if we raise kids who are critical thinkers and innovators and problem solvers, that will be a contribution to solving some of these so problems. That was, that was my Marshall McLuhan thread. Thank you. You saved my life. <laughs> uh, so the, the where I was trying to jump to was, I, I think in many ways, we've kind of pushed forward our health to the future. You know, so like, oh, well, you know, knee surgeries will be better, heart transplants will be better, you know, I'll get like, you know, some bionic body at some point. It's just gonna be so awesome. And so it's kind of like, as opposed to just addressing the situation right now, coming into full responsibility for exactly what's happening in my environment, this present moment, I think it's, it's very easy and convenient and maybe it feels safe or, you know, whatever the reasoning is to kind of just push it forward and say like, oh, like science, science has got our back. You know, it's just wait around, you know, like science will get us. We'll be good. We just need 10 more years, you know, stay in your house. Science will sort this out. And I think that that mindset, um, I don't know. I feel like we've learned, we, not everyone obviously has that mindset, but I think that's a, that mindset is, a, is kind of a product of the environment that and the conditioning that we have from the world that we live in. I wonder if there's, what do you think about that? Does that sound like some crazy shit? You can call me out anytime I say something. <laughs> like, oh, God, I'm not tracking. No, I think you're on track with that one. And I think it's funny because people misunderstand science. The whole nature of science is constant questioning and not the answers. Like I've heard it said, if you want answers, go to a doctor. If you want questions, go to a scientist. Mm. And so we're expecting science to give us these answers and the whole nature of it is to constantly question and overturn. And I agree. Like, I think there are people who hope for that, that technology to be available and to live to be 150 or whatever it is, but we have control over the variables right now. And we only actually have right now. Yeah. And we often like forget that and outsource that to the future. It was kind of like, I think that's a learned habit or learned mindset to outsource your own medical sovereignty or sovereignty around your, your health, like biological sovereignty to, to waiting for an outside source to, to sort you out, mm -hmm. which is a incredible, not to make it be like conspiracy theory ish, but that's like incredibly profitable for that outside source. It's essentially being God. And also incredibly ineffective. Like I tell people a lot, I say it a lot, like you are your own primary healthcare provider. Mm. And in trying to find my own health answers, I consulted with at least 20 doctors and I learned things from a lot of them, but none of them ever have the vested interest in your own health that you do, nor do they have the day-to-day -day data about your health that you do. And most importantly, you are the only one who can actually change it. And I think that's been a recurring theme, but taking full ownership for that and not expecting the answer to come from an outside source and not outsourcing our health. Not to say we shouldn't work with practitioners. I think the best outcomes actually happen when you have an informed patient who's taking full responsibility, working with a doctor or a specialist in whatever field who knows what they're doing and who respects the patient's autonomy. I think that's when the best outcomes happen. But I think in the Western world, we've been trained, like you said, to outsource our health to a practitioner and expect them to give us the answers when they can't possibly actually have all the data to do that. Yeah. I, almost, I feel like it's like, I think there might be a book, something about killing your father, or maybe it's like an article or something, but the, I don't know where, where that idea came from exactly. But the, I think we're looking for a daddy, you know, and at some point our, our literal dads will will pass, you know, unless we do before them, you know, but, but at some point, or maybe a father figure or something like that, somebody older than us, high likelihood they're going to pass on. And we will come into terms that like, oh man, I'm not the son anymore. I'm not the kid anymore. Like, oh my God, I have a kid. I'm the father. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then that whole theater, that whole situation plays out with the kid and we just keep on doing that. And then, you know, and it, it, I think it feels safe to 
have some high empirical overlord taking care of us. And then the reality is, you know, you, you come into this world alone and you go out of this world alone and, you know, and then you're, you're reaching and your time in between. But to come to a place of, I guess, you know, the same repeated thoughts, sovereignty, independence, responsibility. I think that there's there's a lot of there's like a, a, a big mental, emotional, psychological conversation there that often that then trickles into health, the way that we eat and the way we, we medicate and the way that we move. Extremely interconnected. Yeah. I don't yeah. have a question with that. I so greatly appreciate you in general and just the work that you've put into cultivating your ideas and how just like I just appreciate being around you. You're a very inspiring person. Well, I feel the same way about you. Thanks for hosting me in your home and for letting me talk to your audience again. Of course, of course, of course. So I'm a big fan of wellness, obviously. Where should people go from here? And what is wellness? Because I think it's a beautiful opportunity for people to be able to, if they are interested in starting to change up some of the the products they have in their home, what is that? And like, what are people's options? Yeah, thank you. We talked about it, I guess, in general terms, but wellness is the personal care brand that I developed that is built on that 80-20 principle of getting the worst offenders out of your home. They're products that can literally replace your personal care routine. They're safe for everybody in the family. And I wanted to tackle, like I said, the biggest offenders. So just changing out your hair care, oral care, and soon deodorant um, will remove 80% of your chemical exposure in your bathroom at least. And so I wanted to start there and to make them affordable for families and safe for children. Most people don't realize regular toothpaste has a poison control warning. And if a small child eats a tube of toothpaste, it can be fatal. And this is in every home. So as a mom, myself and with an audience of moms, it was really important to me to address that, but they're products anybody can use. And so those are all available at wellness.com. That's wellness with an E on the end. And then I'm just wellness mama everywhere online. Mm, Great. Anything else? Thanks for having me. Of course. This is fun. Let's get cold. All right. Thank you all for tuning in. And that's it. That's all. Hope you guys dug that podcast. I want to read a little quote that I got out of the Align Method book. I just randomly pulled to a page. This is page 36. This is from Hippocrates. Well, send off from Hippocrates. It goes, all parts of the body which have a function if used in moderation and exercised in labors in which each is accustomed become thereby healthy, well-developed, and age more slowly. But if unused, they become liable to disease, defective in growth, and age quickly. Hippocrates, regarded as the father of medicine. No big deal. That is from chapter three, which is tools and techniques to align your body. I am so excited about this book. It is the expanded revised paperback version. It came out on January 11th and uh, it's done really well. It's been top 10 on um, exercise and fitness, I think is the category on Amazon. So people are digging it. I appreciate y'all leaving reviews. Appreciate you grabbing it. It's called The Align Method and you can find it at thealignbook.com. If you just jump over to Amazon or something of the sort, then make sure you get the paperback version. If you enjoyed this conversation, por favor, tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag Katie at Wellness Mama. And we always enjoy resharing the parts of the podcast that you guys really enjoyed. That's it. That's all. I'll see you next week.